Okay, so we're learning about the meaning of the mitzvah. It's actually a mitzvah, according to many opinions, uh, not according to Rambam, but the Sefer Haredim, and after brings down in Tanya, uh, says it's a mitzvah to sanctify yourself in what's permissible to you. So there's two explanations that we're learning about this. The first explanation we did so far was what's permissible to you should not be something that you're into. You shouldn't be face-to-face, which we learned the meaning of face-to-face means that your innermost desire is in that thing that you're face-to-face with. Instead, the physical things that we engage in should be of disinterest versus we should be face-to-face with the Eivishter and we should, our, our chayis, our simcha, should be in terimitzis. When your chayis is in something that affects the way you speak about it, the way you think about it, the way you talk about it, that's the meaning of face-to-face. So kash atzamutalach means that you're, you're doing gashmistika things, physical things, but there's no interest. That's the first explanation of kash atzamutalach. The second explanation is you actually abstain from what's permissible to you. Not only do you uh, not do it with uh, great excitement, but you actually hold yourself back from indulging. Because, the reason you're holding yourself back is because you feel that this thing that you're engaging with will actually bring you down. Instead of it being a tool that you'll use to elevate the Kedusha, on the contrary, this thing that you're going to uh, have is going to bring you down. So what does the Torah say? Hold yourself back. Don't, don't, don't engage with it. Don't, don't, don't indulge in it. That's kashat mutalach. Sanctify yourself what's permissible to you and don't have it. The Rebbe Ashab was once speaking about uh, Iskafia, and he said, I'm paraphrasing from an older memory, so not exactly the idea, but something to the effect of, there's a big difference between uh, doing something for the right reason that you enjoy versus totally not doing it. It, 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 it really tackles a whole different part of your desire, your animal soul, when you actually stop yourself from doing something that you shouldn't do. Or in our situation, not something which is... Meaning, if you indulge in something, but you're doing it for the right reasons, okay, so that, and you're not into it, you don't have chayas in it, that doesn't hurt or doesn't limit your animal soul nearly as much as when you actually don't do what you shouldn't be doing. Again, shouldn't be doesn't mean that it's forbidden, it's something which will bring you down. So kashat mutalach in short has two meanings. One is that you do something that you're that just that's physical and that's pleasurable, but you don't do it because of your pleasure. You do it just externally in your heart and is into is into the into the mitzvahs that you have. Another explanation of kashat mutalach is they actually realize certain things in your life that aren't good for you, and you abstain from them. Okay, let's go to Isdal. Now we can understand on page eight. Now we can understand why in this section of the Torah, where we're reading about the laws of vows, the Torah describes the Jewish people as staffs, not as branches. The meaning of a nether, as we learned, does not you actually make a vow but you put a border upon yourself, make a strong resolve that certain things in your life you realize that aren't good for you, you stay away from. So you're in a very low level, and you realize this thing isn't good for you. 
We learned that uh, we learned that when you do that, so the Abisha lifts you up. When you lower yourself and you and you have the humility to say that you cannot do something, so the Abisha lifts you back, lifts you up. But the very fact that you have to put a, a border upon yourself and say I cannot do this, that itself is a uh, indicates that indicates humility. So the Torah says when you lower yourself, the Abisha will lift you up. So. But let's talk about the playing field. The playing field is you are in a situation where you have to lower yourself. You have to admit vulnerability. And you have to say, this thing isn't good for me. Therefore, you have to separate yourself from it through a vow. So if we were branch-like souls, if we were really attached to our source, we wouldn't need to have these vows. Why do you need to have a vow? Because you're in a state of a staff. What's a staff? It's separate from its source. It's hardened. It's dried. So, so a Jew needs to have a vow, needs to put borders in his life, not when he's in Gan Eden, but when he's in this world engaging in things that can bring him down. The way in the Shema is in heaven, and it is totally united and one and attached and cleaving to the infinite light of Hashem, at that stage, it's called a branch, it doesn't need to have the vows. Or if you're in a state in this physical world that you're able to use the physical thing that whatever it may be for uh, holiness and doesn't bring you down, then you don't, you don't need the nether, you don't need the border. So the idea of needing a nether means that your neshama is in a staff-like state, unlike a branch-like state where no nether necessary. Yeah? You only need to have a border when something can bring you down. Gemara says about this uh, Meira, he didn't like when ever, any Nazirim. No Nazirim, uh, he always felt that Nazirim were excessive. Why are people separating themselves from wine? and from the, Until one Nazir told him that he was, he looked in the, uh, um, the water, and he saw a reflection of his face, he saw the curls in his hair, he realized how handsome he was, and he realized that this is, this is going to be his undoing. It made him become a Nazir because he needed to, uh, to, to put himself in check. Um, so so the, the idea of making a nether is when you realize, you have the humility to realize that some things in your life are maybe kosher, but they're just not good for you. And that means you're in a state of a staff, albeit you're not in your pristine, holy, spiritual state. But the emphasis is, is that this is something which, as we shall see, Brings you, catapults you to the highest of levels. Well, it, it seems that to, to uh, elevate that which is permissible is better than rejecting it altogether. But here he's making another subtle opposite. Yeah. There are two kinds of scenarios. There's a scenario of somebody who's able to elevate the physical, he's able to use it as a tool. And then there's someone who realizes that there's some things in his life which aren't, he doesn't, he has not the capability of elevating them. And uh, he has an honesty to say that this thing is bringing me down. That takes a lot of humility. And we'll see, that's, that explains the intro to this Torah portion. The intro to this Torah portion is, this is the word of God. Revelation. We're talking about the neshamas which are having a really hard time over here. So why are we talking about ultimate revelation? And we shall see in the days of Hay that it's, it's specifically this humility of neshama which realizes it has to put borders in its life that connects it 
to the absolute revelation of Hashem. So just like we learned about tshuva, that a person turns face to face with Hashem, and he cries out to Hashem, and he feels the darkness of this world, he wants Mashiach, it bothers him, and hurts him, Mashiach isn't here, he feels the darkness, that connects him to the light of Hashem. Similarly, a person who's not feeling that neshama thing, doesn't feel neshama yearning, doesn't feel neshama yearning for Mashiach, but the fact that he has the humility to put borders upon himself and have that humility also connects him with, with, with Havaya. Let's see what they say. Where is that guy's, where's that thought going to come from? That, he, that he's, he's missing something in life? That, he's, that things bring him down? Yeah. Like that's like a mashpia coming and telling you that like where, if he's not on the level saying that Kedusha is everything and you're trying to connect to Hashem and Mashiach and all that, then this guy is most likely not connected at all. So why would he have the latter thought but not the first one? Where is it going to come from? Or what? There is, there is, Zev is asking if a person doesn't, doesn't have this real strong feeling about Mashiach's coming, so how can we, how can we even realize that something's missing in his life? So I, I, there, there's, there's a spectrum over here. A person can have a very strong feeling in his heart, like actually as emotion. He's upset Mashiach isn't here. He's upset that he's living in darkness. He's upset that godliness isn't revealed in the world. That's one kind of state. And another person could be in a state where he doesn't have an emotion about it, but he just knows I'm not in the right space right now. I am not living my life the way, I'm, way I can be. Like on a stand, if you ask yourself on, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would it look like if you actually kept the borders that you need to keep in your life? Let's go to this 8. And how would your life look differently if you went to, from, from a 5 to an 8? And if you went to an 8, what, what would, what would, what's holding you back from getting to that 8? What advice would you give yourself to, to get out of where you are, to, get, to, get, to, to have more borders in your life, to, to, be, to be where you need to be? So that that is instructing us to ask ourselves these questions. To what nidaram do you need? Oh, you say. Is this the same conversation as if I eat if I'm eating four danishes and I understand it's probably not good to have four danishes. Having one is not going to work. I need to have zero. Is that the same conversation? It is. Yes. And there's, but there's a lot of other conversations that could be have, had on a larger, larger scale. Um, and a more detrimental scale, like uh, internet usage and... Uh, That's what okay. Are you, are you really giving as much as you can to this? Okay, And this is the meaning of the Pasuk. spoke to the heads of the Matis, heads of the tribes, and he said to them, this is the, the thing that God commanded us. What's, why does Meshach Rabbeinu say this? Why does he use that expression, this is the word of God? In Yudu, it's known the teaching of our sages, the main distinction that Meishu Rabbeinu had, that his virtue surpassed all the prophets, was, whenever they gave prophecy, they said, so says the Lord. Meishu Rabbeinu, on the other hand, says, said, this is the word of God. Why do they say, so says God? Meishu Rabbeinu said, this is what Hashem said. What's the difference between those two expressions? The word koi means something which is just similar to something else. So, it's like this. All the prophets began their prophecy with, it's like this. It's not exactly, but it's like this. As Let's say you see something which, is, which cannot be explained. And you want to explain it to somebody else. So you tell him something which is similar to that thing, 
is that from that thing that, you, that he would, she could understand, he'll understand something, he'll have some inkling in that thing which is higher than understanding. So you're going to tell this person something amazing that you've seen, that you've experienced. And it's not some, some, something which could be understood. So you use an example of something else that will give him some insight into that amazing thing. So all, all the prophets, they couldn't give us, they themselves didn't have the clarity in what they saw. And so they, they just said to us, it's something like this. So that's what they meant when they said, So says Hashem, it's like this. Something, to, something similar to this is what God is saying. Imagine you could actually show the person the thing, the amazing thing. The Sachachavar once explained the difference between the Arizal and Baal Shemtev. The difference in the Arizal and Baal Shemtev is that uh, there, was a, there, were, there were people living far away from the king and they never saw the king. So someone went, came to them and said to them, let me tell you about the palace. Let me tell you about the king's robes. Let me tell you about the king's crown. And the people, wow, that sounds incredible. But how much could they really picture the king's crown and the king's robes just by hearing someone else describe it? Then there's a, someone else that I have a better idea. He tells the king, I want you to visit the city. Come bring, the Baal Shem brought the king to the people. So it wasn't only that he described the king to the people, but he actually brought the king to the people. That's the difference between Meshach Rabbeinu's prophecy and all the prophets. All the prophets, they brought something of a godliness you know, down to us in a way that we can have some understanding of. Meshach Rabbeinu's revelation was Zed this is the word of God, an absolute clear revelation. He brought the Abishah, so to speak. He himself experienced a clarity in the revelation of Hashem. There's a teaching of Al Shem in the Pasuk, Asheh Happy is the people that so is their lot. What's Shekacha mean? Shekacha is numerically equivalent to Meisha. Meisha Rabbeinu is someone who Shekacha, who he sees absolute clarity and godliness. Asher Ha'am, who have fortunes of people, Shekacha, that have a Meisha Rabbeinu. And Moshe Hashanah goes on to say that every Jew has a similar thing, a taste of that in, 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 in their Neshama. Okay, so that's the unique thing about Meisha Rabbeinu's Neshama and his prophecy, and that's why Meisha Rabbeinu says, this is the word of Hashem, not Koi. It's not like this. This is the word of Hashem. This is the difference between all the prophets. They introduced their prophecy with the, with the words koi, so says Hashem, in the hand of the prophets. I imagine God speaks to them in a, in a dream, unlike Meshach Rabbeinu, who said, This is the word of God. As God said about Meshach Rabbeinu, I speak to him mouth to mouth. I talked to him in a clear vision without any riddles. So when Meishu Rabbeinu wants to show the Jewish people the essence of godliness, which is called Zeh, this is the thing, as Meishu Rabbeinu said, this is the thing that God commanded, Havaya commanded. He wants it to connect the Jewish people, they should absolutely see clearly Yudke Vavke. They shouldn't just see the level of godliness called Adnai. Rather, there should be some kind of image. They shouldn't just see the light of Hashem that fills the world. The light of Hashem which animates and creates every creature in the world every moment. They should see more than that. wanted us to see the essence, which is called this. The light of Hashem that transcends all worlds. So Meishu Beinu is about to do this. He says something which is very messy and dirty. He says, I want to talk to you 
who you Jewish people who are called staffs. Remember, the Jewish people have two names, two titles, branches and staffs. Branches is our title when we're attached to our source. Staff is our title when we are separate and distant and dried up. So Meishim wants to, us to experience the ultimate revelation of God. He says, he says it calls us staffs. Why? Because it's specifically when the Neshama descends into the darkness of this world and the concealment of godliness in the body. To the extent that a person is, in, in a, is in experiencing, experiencing friction between what he knows to be true and what he, is, what he feels attracted to. And he needs to put a border in his life. He needs to make a net. He needs to stop himself. So when he's at that state, you know what happens? Meishim tells him, That's how you connect to the infinite light of Hashem. What level, they're called branches, they're attached to their source. What level can they reach? All they can reach is Atzilus. As far as they, although they're absolutely nullified to Hashem, they cannot get to Savior. They cannot get to Havaya. They cannot get to infinite light of Hashem. The only way to get the infinite light of Hashem is when you're in the world, in a body, in an animal soul, and you're challenged, and you have to put a border upon yourself to stop yourself from doing the wrong thing. That's how you connect to Yahavaya. That's a connected infinite light of Hashem. So therefore, Meishmeinu wants to show us, the Rebbe's phrasing in a very interesting way. It's not Meishmeinu, on the surface, Meishmeinu is about to tell us the laws of vows, and introduces it with, this is the word of Hashem. It's like an intro to the main point. The Rebbe flips it around. Moshe Rabbeinu wants us to experience the revelation of Hashem. Zehadavar. He wants us to give us to give. A, how do you get the Zehadavar? Guys, this is how you get the Zehadavar. The way you get the Zehadavar is by putting borders in your life. By putting, by putting, by putting up, up a, a clear definition of what's good and what's not good for yourself in a subjective way, each person. That's how you get the Zehadavar. That revelation of Hashem that's brought down to a person who makes that decision to abstain from things which aren't good for them, even though they may be officially kosher, that revelation he experiences is transferred, continues, it permeates his Torah study. That when a person learns Torah, he learns the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, this is kosher, this is not kosher. Moshe Rabbeinu speaks in his Torah too. So that when he is learning Torah, God is repeating the words of Torah with him. Or like Hashem said about Moshe Rabbeinu, that the Shekhinah speaks in Moshe's throat. So the Jew experiences in his Torah study, the Ebeshter. The Abishr is revealed in his Torah study. How did he get the Abishr to come to him? It's, it's specifically by, by making those hard decisions, <coughs> making borders in his life, that he's able to bring the Abishr into his Torah. You can learn Torah, but not get the light of Torah. How do you get the Abishr to speak into your throat, to connect to the Abishr's real essence? It's stuffed by the borders. And these borders, I mean, it's, it's so counterintuitive, because we're talking about something which is so yucky, Compared to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, Avram and Yaakov are chariots to Hashem, and yet they cannot get to it. What's the way you get to the Abish's essence, and that essence can, stays with you, and and in your Torah study, do you really? The Rebbe Hashab uh, said how Dafka, a person who has uh, made mistakes, can can get this. It, it's it's Dafka, a person who needs realizes where, where they are and they need the words need to make that they get the chesedus, they get the essence. 
Although we said earlier that the, we said we discussed earlier the purpose of the Nisham of the sending in the, into this world. When you send into the world, you lose the love and reverence you have for Hashem Gan Eden. What's the point? So we answered earlier that there's a resilience, there's a stronger, stronger attraction you have to Galenius, specifically by being here. There's a stronger cry. You want to come close to Hashem. You only have that cry in this world. You only have that yearning in this world. So Rebbe says, although we said earlier there has to be a cry, it's not in a way of crying, rather it's in a way of simcha. The tshuva should be done with simcha. Just like the Ramam said that every mitzvah has to be done with simcha, if every mitzvah has to be done with simcha, how much more so the mitzvah of tshuva? Ms. Mashpia was visiting our yeshiva in Brazil, uh, Rabbi Mishalavin, and in the middle of uh, nine days, he started singing out the Rebbe's Nigan. And we were asking, like, how did we ha- I thought we thought that was against the rules. So he said, listen, by a chasna is a mitzvah. A chasna, you have to sing out the Rebbe's Nigan. Chasna is a very big mitzvah. Imagine doing tshuva. Tshuva is an even bigger mitzvah. You do tshuva for sure, you can sing out the Rebbe's Nigan. So the Ramam says every mitzvah has to be done with simcha. If every mitzvah has to be done with simcha, how much more so the mitzvah of tshuva has to be done with simcha? Then we need the tshuva of the Shabbos, Eishis Tashif. By Shabbos, in simcha. That's why Shabbos has the same letters as tshuva. Shabbos has the same letters, Shin Beis Sof, also spells Tashif, which means tshuva. So Shabbos has to have simcha. Says in the Sifri, concerning the Pasuk, on the days you rejoice, what is the day you rejoice? Says is it free? You rejoice on Shabbos. Shabbos is the day of happiness. So if you have to have simcha on any day of the week, and every day of the week you have to be involved in tshuva, so every day has to have simcha. How much more so Shabbos, which is a day of teshuva, how much more so does Shabbos have to have simcha? Even if you're on, on a, in a tzaddik-like state, and tzaddikim are not naturally prone to do teshuva, but that's what Mashiach uh, accomplishes, that even tzaddikim do teshuva. Mashiach comes through teshuva, Mashiach will cause everyone to do teshuva. So in short, we said in Ezvav is that Although we spoke earlier in the Mimer about crying to Hashem, feeling how distant you are, but the Rebbe is saying, don't just cry, do things with Simcha. It has to also be with Simcha. There are tears of pain, there's tears of joy. So imagine, Shuvah is about tears of joy coming back to your Father in Heaven. It shouldn't just be like tears of pain, I'm so far, I'm so distant, I'm so yucky, I'm so terrible. But Ad Rebbe, if every mitzvah has to have Simcha, how much more so the mitzvah of Shuvah has to have Simcha. And Shabbos is Bechal Day of Simcha. So the kind of Teshuvah that Shabbos is associated with is the higher level of Shuvah. There's two, generally two kinds of Shuvah. Shuvah with bitterness, focusing on being introspective, focusing on your mistakes and the, and the motives of mistakes and regretting the, those motives. That's one kind of Shuvah. A higher level of Shuvah is where you're just trying to attach yourself to Hashem, trying to cleave to Hashem, trying to come back home. So that level of Shuvah is with great Simcha. The Alter Rebbe said actually that uh, on Thursday night you should do the lower level of tshuva, so that on Shabbos you could have the higher level of tshuva. 
The Rebbe said that our generation can't handle it. In history, we're past the Thursday night in stage of history. So let's go straight to the Simcha of uh, Tshuva Yilah. Someone asked the Rebbe, actually, how do we do Tshuva now, Tshuva Tata? Now, how do Tinkin Chatzais nowadays? Tinkin Chatzais is not something we usually do. Everyone said that Tinkin Chatzais is by studying Chassidus at Chatzais. Studying Chassidus at night, it's uh, also a similar phenomena. Anyways, bottom line is, the last point we did in the Mimer was, all these things that we spoke, spoke about earlier, about putting borders upon yourself, etc., don't think that you're, you're not in the, in, a, in, the, in the game because you have to deal with these kind of nitty-gritty low things. On the contrary, because you have to deal with these nitty-gritty low things, you're able to connect to the essence of Hashem. It's only the Neshama that's sending into the world and being like a staff that allows an Hashem to re- surpass the level of Aram Ritzik and Yaakov. Aram Ritzik and Yaakov can only attach themselves to, to Atzilus, to the highest world. But to get the essence of Hashem, that's through Nidarim. That's through the borders we put on ourselves. We realize this is not good for me, this is good for me. That, 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 uh, those decisions, which are seeming to be very yucky decisions, very ichy, very earthy, but Adrabe, that's to get the Zadar. Any questions, comments, critics? And the Ikras Masimcha. Okay. Rock <laughs> <laughs>